Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. On the threshold of space, every single superhero on Earth has been gathered, well that doesn't sound right, to helplessly await the outcome of the most fantastic contest of all time, I don't think that's accurate, to the four corners of the Earth, 24 of their number have been sent to compete against one another, well that's also an act. Their object, to find the pieces of the golden, you know what, I can't even, because the whole thing is fucking batshit bonkers, I'm Nico, this is X's for Podcast, we're supposed to be looking at the X-Men, but instead, we're off in space on some sort of cockamamie bullshit, trying to have some sort of contest of champions, where they're pitting racial minorities against each other in some sort of, like, death battle for the last man standing, I'm not crazy about it, but remember to breathe, darling. I try. As usual, as always, as customary, on this here wonderful show is our one and only Jonah. Yubble say yo. Ah, Korean. Nice. Yubble say yo. Absolutely. <laughs> really? Cool. All right. So this is, we're doing this, I guess. I would like to thank the House of X for letting us borrow the amazing Warpath Dylan. Shalom. Ooh. Next year in Israel. I would like to welcome to the show for the third time before his first time. Our, that's weird. I don't even so technically I guess you're still kind of like a virgin. I don't I don't know what's happening. Mikey, welcome. Our straight emissary. <laughs> That's Klingon. Oh god, yes. So this show just got way better. Kyle, Kyle, I don't know how you can top Klingon, but I mean, I, I wouldn't want to bottom for Klingon either. But Kyle, welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, I can't top it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely would not bottom for a no. Klingon. And the one, the only, the Kevy hubby. Kevo, welcome home. Hi, I totally had something for this, but now I can't find it. Hey, it's just a spoonful of sugar. We're all that, just you know, raising our rats the, the best we the, can. We are, and let's talk about those rats for a moment, shall we? Once upon a time, in a very close and not too far off space place, Grandmaster entered a battle with the unknown. The Grandmaster cobbled together Captain America, Talisman, Darkstar, Captain Britain, Wolverine, Defensor, Sasquatch, Daredevil, Le Peregrine, She-Hulk, Thing, and Blitzkrieg against the unknowns Iron Man, Vanguard, Iron Fist, Shamrock, Storm, Arabian Knight, who's super hot, Sabra, Invisible Woman, Angel, who still sucks on any planet, Black Panther, who is the unfortunate victim of some racial slurs, and Sunfire, who just continues to be kind of a dick. In the first battle... Oh, Collective Man. Oh, I forgot Collective Man. Doink. Thank you. Oh, geez. Well, Collective Man. Sorry, buddy. I'm a big fan. Uh, Claremont uses you pretty well. In the first battle, Daredevil of Grandmaster's team emerges victorious. The second battle, it's kind of Arabian Night, but it's not like super clear. So before we get to the third and fourth battle, I want to thank everybody for coming out. This has been a really fascinating experience. I believe we were supposed to be talking about what is essentially a punch-em-up three-part miniseries, but we've run the gamut of fighting misogyny in comics to addressing the difficulties of 
race in comics, and we've really discussed a much broader range of topics. I know that when we began this project, everybody said to me, Nico, there's not three episodes worth of material here. And I'm going to be really honest, as much as I was like, oh, yes, there is. I, you know, half the time I'm making this shit up as I go along. And I don't know that there's going to be three episodes. I say there's going to be three episodes. And then we get in there and there's two. We get in there and there's seven. We get in there and there's five. And I feel like we could probably talked about each one of these issues for three episodes and really done a discussion of the layers that need to be unentwined, whether it's the racial issues we discussed between Arabian Night and Sabra, which was just unacceptable, or it's the misogynistic treatment of Shamrock, a superhero who is considered one of the world's 24 greatest superheroes who is called together to be part of this super momentous battle, and she's reduced to little more than a woman fawning over a muscle man. And, like, I just feel like that's so reductive. If you're going to tell us she's a hero, make her a hero. Storm has saved the world a million times over, but she's little more than a woman on one of the teams. She barely gets any kind of spotlight. I am thrilled that my precious Daredevil was victorious, but Daredevil winning made absolutely no sense, genuinely. So, I guess what I'm getting at is we are standing here on the precipice of the finale, and we are hanging out on this third issue, you know, just having a good time, walking out with our cocks out, and I want to know what you guys think coming into this third issue. I want to go around the room and get a sense of where everybody's head is at in, in this big battle that is... The Contest of Champions, Marvel Superhero. So, Mikey, you are the new guy on the block. You joined this for Alpha Flight. You are our Canadian correspondent, despite being decidedly in New Jersey. And this was nothing like what you expected from what you told me when we would talk about it before recording. Standing here now, looking at the finale, where is your head? I look so looking at this, this was like a, a syndicated show almost where these are those one off monster of the week episodes of Supernatural and this just so happened to be a three parter, but I think it I don't know, it was something different. Uh it wasn't important, so you really didn't need to pay like super attention to it and remember something that happened twenty issues prior and it, you know, showed a bunch of new characters that were just new in general or unfamiliar with. So I mean, for what it is, I I've enjoyed it so far. Now Kyle, had you read this before when you went through the Marvel Universe? No, I haven't. I was not aware of it. I honestly got confused because I thought that it was pretty much the same thing as the first Secret Wars. And in many ways it is. It's not just a literal precursor, but it's a conceptual precursor. Kevo, was it exciting to see Captain Britain cross the pond one more? I mean, I'm going to assume he crossed the pond. I, you know, like, I don't, I don't exactly know how teleporting through space... He transcended the pond. pond he left the pond <laughs> altogether. Oh, like the doctor. Ah, technically she left him. And he'll never forgive her. He couldn't forgive her to the point where he had to get a new face. But was it nice to see Captain Britain come over to the U.S.? Yeah, it was nice to see him play with others on the Captain Britain corner. We had noted recently that in the recap of Captain Britain's life story, his previous interaction with another superhero, Captain America, was uh, trying to find a less than magical. trying to find a polite way to say pissed on, but yeah, less than magical. That works too. So it's it's nice to see him playing with others. 
In the Captain Britain origin clip show, they boiled down the 13-part Captain Britain-Captain America crossover to two and a half panels, while they literally straight-up reprinted an entire issue of a four-part story featuring a one-off bad guy. So, Captain Britain does not have a very good track record of meeting other heroes, and I too thought it was a nice change of pace. Dylan, had you encountered Contest of Champions prior to this reading assignment? I actually hadn't. I knew it existed, and I knew it was out there, but I also knew that it wasn't that important. So this actually was my first time reading it, and parts of it were good. I know we've talked about it now, and going on three episodes, and there's been a a lot of negativity and some positivity. I'd say it's probably about 50-50. It it was good. I just think some things were not executed as best they could have been. I really get that. And you know what? I like that you described it as some positivity and some negativity, but generally winding up around 50-50. I think one of the things that's really difficult when you're talking about how to address the reality of that sort of confluence, that, that duality of problematic versus classic it can be it can be a real trip you know jonah we've come so far in our uncanny adventures when we started this whole shebang they could not stop stripping down storm for no reason and now i feel like even if she's being underestimated and unfortunately feminized and backseated at least it is less sexualized and backseated where do you bamf on this I just think that there was a problem with writing in that these are, they don't know how to capture the voice of somebody else who's not a white American. And I say, I preface that with white American because in the previous issue, Contest of Champions number two, Darkstar, who is Russian, says the exact same things that Colossus says by Lenin's ghost. You know, in this issue, Blitzkrieg says, Mine got and close. It's... Everybody who has an accent that comes from the same place gets the same dialogue, and they kind of all act the same. So it's really disheartening that... (laughs) Gosh and Begora. All these characters are supposed to be inclusive and representative of other countries, but they're all... I wouldn't say they're bad stereotypes, but they just come off that they all talk the same, that everybody has the exact same dialogue and references... I want to go on record as saying I think all stereotypes are bad, but I know what you mean. There are negative stereotypes and there are positive stereotypes. And, well, some of them here are what we will go with harmless stereotypes. They certainly are reductive and make us have to take a step back and go, this is not a character. This is a caricature. Now, I want to take a kind of running leap through the battles here because the battles here are kind of i'm trying to think about the right way to put it ridiculous beyond the fact that occasionally john Romita jr hasn't figured out how to draw depth on wolverine's mask and it gives him no nose i have a number of problems with the dialogue as we discussed and i think it is also important to note that the fights themselves are more punchy-punchy and kind of boring in this issue. I concur. Yeah, I mean, Kevo, this was your first chance to see somebody like Wolverine and the Thing really toss in, and I feel like you probably walked away kind of bored. Not only bored, but, like, deeply disturbed by the characterization of Wolverine in this 
issue. The way that he goes so hard at Black Panther is so bizarre and needless. And he seems to, unlike She-Hulk, who at least you could argue is perhaps, you know, She-Hulk Ragey or whatever, um, he seems to be fully aware that he does not need to kill his opponent and wants to murder this king anyway. Wow, really? Are there going to be no consequences from that? Because I would be really disappointed if that were the case. So what's really funny is it's, and this is to the heart of the writing, not your understanding. She-Hulk does not have a Hulk rage that she cannot control, and Logan does. Logan specifically has a hair-trigger berserker rage where he cannot control himself. And She-Hulk does not lose sense of who She-Hulk is. She is at all times super strong Jen Walters. At least, that was the case until Avengers Disassembled, and there has been some up and down to that, most recently in Jason Aaron's Avengers. Jason Aaron, he sounds like somebody I might want to talk about on this show with a muscular fellow. Well, I actually did know that about Wolverine, which is why I pointed to the fact that he is clearly illustrated to be in control of his faculties, and yet he's making yeah. this decision outright. Now, Dylan, this Logan, does this even feel like the Logan from the time to you? Not really. I feel like they are just like, here's this crazy dude who has claws, we're going to make him be all angry and want to kill people. Which, I mean, I know in the future, or newer episodes or newer issues Wolverine is more like that but back in this time he wasn't the psycho dude that cut things first and then asked questions later I guess what I think would have been a more accurate representation of both Black Panther and Wolverine is have Black Panther go on his stealth mission but have Wolverine hunt him that's kind of both of two things that they both do and it would have made a better story of having Black Panther do reconnaissance and try this more stealthy tactical approach to be hunted by one of the most ultimate hunters on Earth. Here, he they get the hot-headedness right. They don't get his drug of choice right because he would not smoke cigarettes, he'd be smoking cigars. But Wolverine is more nuanced than this hot-headed, I'm going to kill because I have no remorse. Yes, Wolverine loves a good fight and more often than not, he is... A little gun ho ready to kill people but in a situation like this wolverine wouldn't want to kill black panther because there's no fun in it for him this this wouldn't be fun for wolverine i really i love that this wouldn't be fun for wolverine i feel like the fun is also missing from thing and so i, I completely agree wolverine should be fun things should be having fun uh, of course there's somebody i expect to never have fun Flying through the air, sad panda man is Warren Worthington III, the weeping angel, and I just hate the weeping angel as he flies through the air. And Kyle, the last time you saw Angel, I think was in the Dark Phoenix saga, where he didn't get too much personality. But prior to that, we'd spent a ton of time with the angel in Champions. It's a few pages into the issue. But there is very specifically a sequence where Angel is trying to literally throttle choke the shit out of Peregrine. Yeah, I'm just like, I don't understand Angel here at all. And it's just like, why was he the one to be chosen? I really agree. I have to assume it's that he and Peregrine would be able to be manufactured as similar toys with different paint jobs, despite the fact that they look different 
in book. I also then have to wonder if Black Panther and Wolverine were going to share a mold. I have to wonder if Beast and Sasquatch were going to share a mold. Aware that these characters are even shown to be different sizes in the book, that's not really how old toys work. Anybody here who collected any of the toys that were based on the Jim Lee and 1992 X-Men animated series iterations of those characters can attest that Wolverine was the same height as the Juggernaut, was the same height as Magneto, was roughly the same height as Xavier sitting in his wheelchair. So, at the end of the day, you're looking at what was probably a bid for a cheap-ass toy. Okay, that kind of makes sense. I mean, like I said in a previous episode, I did not have action figures growing up, so I wouldn't have known that. Oh, so you would have been expecting a higher quality from these action figures than an incredibly generic build that was reductive of the character design. I really follow that, because you would be expecting better. I get that. Now, speaking of expecting better, Mikey, it's not just that we've discussed really cruel treatment of black characters, and it's not just that we've discussed cruel treatment of women characters, but we now have sort of like poor treatment of European political parties. <laughs> I can't help but notice that everybody refers to Vanguard as red and the red throughout the issue. Mikey, were you prepared for like anti-European politics to bleed its way into this battle sequence? Fully, 100%. I'm surprised that it wasn't worse than it actually was because... Really? Well, yeah. Well, at the time, we were so close to nuclear war, probably closest we've been since 1962, 63. So the anti-Russian, anti-Eastern European sentiment was quite high and i i mean it's still there to this day but back then it was like calling somebody red was almost a compliment compared to some of the other things that people were saying about them you know and that is a perspective i wouldn't have had oh god that's why i love doing this show because i kept getting confused i kept being like why wait angel would be the one in red so why aren't they calling angel red oh 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 I was very confused by some of it. And speaking of confused by some of it, and I can't help but notice this. So, okay, the Grandmaster's team at the end of the third fight is up 2-1. The Grandmaster's team is then Sasquatch, Blitzkrieg, and Captain America. But at the end of the fourth contest, if I am not mistaken, Shamrock gets her hands on the piece. And Shamrock is on the Unknown's team, but... Just before Chapter 6, the final art says Grandmaster 3, Unknown 1, when it is specifically 2-2, and it is actually 2-2. So, I'm a little confused. Did anybody else notice that? That Shamrock of the Unknowns team gets it, and everyone's like, oh, Grandmaster got a third one! Yes, on the first page for chapter five which is this contest it explicitly tells you who who's on whose team and shamrock is the one who grabs it because oh i'm just so lucky i i really dislike shamrock in this she just literally comes off as i'm not like other girls i'm just like lucky or whatever like really that's how you describe your powers to the superheroes girl <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> and I can't help but have eyes and look at the next page and I am like mega horrified by that 
Is that an is that a Native American headdress? What is what is that plumage? Are you talking about Storm? No, I'm talking about the guy with the wings and the and the headdress in blue with a breastplate. Oh, you're talking chapter yeah. six. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Wow. You're, you're ahead of us. I'm so sorry because it looks like the guy is wearing Mystique's breastplate with Cher's half breed headpiece with like blade versions of angels feather wings some kind of pirate miss america sash and the thickest fucking legs i've ever seen i can't figure out who he is but i want to go to every party with him okay but what about uh the only way i can describe him next to quasar as on the same page union jack why do we have someone else in a british yeah no that's union actually jack. his name union jack i really no, took a union... shot in the dark yeah that's union jack no, no, that's Union Jack. I love Union Jack. But why? We already have Captain Britain. Jacqueline. <laughs> no, they're allowed more than one hero. No, they're not. Not after that. Well, okay, wait. If we have Captain America ton- and we have We Miss have America. Captain America. Not when they're US playing all the American heroes in the movies. No, 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 no. You can't no, no, no. steal the but American no, listen, heroes. Listen, I love Union Jack and I love Spitfire. No, I'm trying to have British ones. Then they can't keep stealing ours. Then I want Channing Tatum to play Brian oh, would Braddock. Would you replace in the movie. Tommy Holly? Would you replace Tommy Holly? I love Tommy Holly. Okay, well That's Channing Tatum point. as Brian Woof 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 Woof. Channing Tatum is as as an inexplicable stripper Brian Braddock. <laughs> mm, really into it. And John Berenthal for no reason as Jamie Braddock. I'm loving this. Okay, who can we cast as Olivia Munn as Psylocke? Because okay. why not? Only Strippers. thing that Apocalypse got right. Yeah. Strip is still a thing. less pathetic backstory than I was banging when my parents died and now I'm sad. Yeah, I'm going to be really honest. Having a reaction to your parents banging to death or like, <laughs> I, no, wait, no, <laughs> wait, that's not what I meant. I, uh, so while we're talking about death, I guess it's important to point out that the unknown is death. Um... Uh, <laughs> that was pretty cool. So I hadn't seen that coming. Is that yeah? The whole plot of this is that Death, played here by the skeleton of the X Men franchise, is part of this big game of Death with Jeff Goldblum in an attempt to. Br- I almost said Channing Tatum in an attempt to bring back Benicio del Toro, and they have this whole big thing, and it's just kind of dumb. And it just sort of ends, and everybody kind of just goes home, and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with that. Because no one learns anything, and nothing hap- Nothing even fucking happens. Like, for real? Like, this feels like an eight-page story. I think that was my biggest problem with this, and my biggest takeaway, being that when it was first announced the rules of what was going to happen with who teams, whose team won, nobody from Earth loses as long as they play the game. It didn't matter, and they were, even if the teams won, they were going to get more boons. It was really weird that there were no consequences whatsoever for any of the superheroes on Earth. Unless they didn't play. Unless they didn't play. I really agree. It was a smart way to trap people in interacting with the story. Because at the end of the day, it's a really flimsy setup that they're trying to bring a lot of characters in together. Looking back on the story, I do feel like the people who won were kind of ridiculous. The people who got the pieces were Daredevil, Arabian Knight, Thing, and Shamrock. So it was two of the sort of 
other characters, and it was two of the kind of main characters. And it's very clearly half and half. It's, it's you know, 2-2. Two, two. It's not 3-1. And it's more of that balance we talked about several episodes ago when we discussed the fact that the Marvel-DC crossover was very specifically manipulated in a way so that neither team lost too much and that both teams' powerhouses and mainstays were reflected positively. It's kind of... It kind of feels like that somehow, even though it's not really. There's really no way to be territorial about who wins and who loses other than winning and losing here. Does that make any sense? Can I talk about things win really quickly? It's actually pointed out by Black Panther where the golden object is, to which I guess maybe that speaks volume of T'Challa not really caring who wins as long as Earth gets saved. But why would he really not want to win? It was really weird that it was pointed out by the opposing team and then Thing won. I just thought that was such a weird thing. Maybe... The problem is at this point they were losing track of who was actually on which team. Or there's some kind of failure in the uh, continuity. I have to wonder. It it does start to feel like they just lost track of what was going on. I actually kept forgetting what the setup was. It just sort of kept feeling like a generic kind of Secret War, AVX, IVX... Just too many people fight too many people. Dylan, this was your first time reading this story. Now, you'd heard about it. You knew it existed. But this was your first time approaching this. And you'd, you've been reading comic books since you're, what, eight, seven, eight years old? When you finally, okay, I'm reading Contest of Champions, this big thing that created the Marvel crossover. Do you feel any greater for it? I like the fact that they introduced a bunch of no-name characters or even ones that we've never heard of for other countries. I, I did like that. One thing that I'm actually kind of angry about is this Australian talisman that they introduced. Like, literally... I, because that's not the real talisman. Yeah, not the talisman that we're all fond of from Alpha Flight. But this dude seemed pretty powerful, and I just looked it up while we were doing this episode. He's literally been in basically nothing, and that's kind of sad. They would create too many characters, and... You know, for every Chris Claremont who had a 200-issue run on X-Men with 50-plus issues on New Mutants and 30 issues on Excalibur and a bunch of Marvel team-up and a bunch of Wolverine and a bunch of Marvel Comics Presents and a bunch of Marvel fanfare and Iron Fist where he got to create these villains and then use them again later on. And, you know, for every Chris Claremont whose every idea was a big-name success, there was a Bill Mantlo who had a low-selling title and would bounce from book to book. There was a guy like Denny O'Neill who would come in and fill in on whatever title needed it at the time and was a team player. You had Tom DeFalco, who it seems worked on everything in the entire Marvel Universe. And not everybody got to see that vision executed to fruition. So you do have these great characters that start off and they just sort of get lost in the mix. It's really disappointing. And I am glad that this was not any kind of seal of death on Sasquatch, for instance. Mikey, I know that with Alpha Flight, the connection to Alpha Flight is, is essentially tangential here, but what do you think about seeing Sasquatch elevated in this way? I dig it. I like it. It gives more exposure to the character and then the other characters in Alpha Flight. It helps to bring exposure to that book and to that series and to hopefully more things to come so like the shaman that they introduced here he doesn't fade into obscurity which is appreciated because he's such a great character 
I agree. And you, we've barely touched the tip of the iceberg. Where we are right now in designing and developing Alpha Flight behind the scenes, we're just approaching their solo series and not just the appearances they make throughout the Marvel Universe over the course of five or six years. So we're getting to the heart of John Byrne's narrative, and it's going to be really exciting to see you get to watch the growth and development of these characters, specifically Walter, who gets a pretty excellent arc. Kevo, Captain Britain's inclusion in this is the same sort of afterthought that I feel like every Captain Britain appearance winds up being by the end <laughs> of the day. It's a very muted take on who the captain is in his own title. This is a little bit ahead of where we are. This technically takes place the beginning of the Alan Davis, Alan Moore run, but it doesn't make sense there. He's in the wrong costume. So fans have essentially moved this back a little bit into the end of the Black Knight era. It's like that Power Rangers Christmas special where Tommy is still in the green suit, but they get a message from Rocky, Adam, and Aisha. Exactly. It just can't happen, but I mean, here it is. So my question for you is, how does it feel getting to see Captain Britain be part of a team-up? Because that is his future. He will forever be on teams going forward. You know, with the runaround that the character has gotten, I am just happy to be invited. I'm happy that he got to go to the party. He didn't contribute much, but a lot of people didn't contribute much. It wasn't like he was the only one. Everyone sort of was unfortunately diminished beyond what their capabilities mostly are in their own titles. But he's had such a rough run. It's nice to see him not being fully ignored for once yeah captain britain pretty much gets pissed on and that makes his life hard 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 i couldn't believe dark star had such an awesome role in this and by awesome role in this i mean she kind of fought in a lot more than a number of other characters i feel she certainly served a greater purpose than storm Kyle, you're kind of our resident Dark Star expert by virtue of you're the only person that's read her more than once. So, Dark Star expert, talk to me. Seeing the character go from a champion's backup feature, who was frequently just the thing they kicked out of the title when there was a few too many things going on, how did it feel seeing her rise to prominence in this miniseries? It was really cool, honestly. I know that I, I really shit on this story a lot, but seeing Darkstar have such a great amount of skill and actually using her skills to a, an effective end, has it really makes it feel like somebody knew how to work with her, unlike a lot of the other heroes that were featured in this. Yeah, and I really dig that vibe, too. I feel like they wanted her to come to life a little more than she had so far. Now, I keep promising you we're going to talk about the X-Men, and instead today, let's see, what have we talked about? We've talked about racism and misogyny. We've talked about characters losing their clothes mid-jump. We've discussed who and who isn't probably uncut. And we've established that it looks like multiple people are getting fucked in the ass on the cover of the first issue of Contest of Champions. Jonah, Jonah C. Rubino, I gotta know, where is your head at having just read the first ever Marvel crossover? This, this monumental thing that changed comics as a body. So people understand Contest of Champions inspired Secret Wars, Secret Wars inspired Crisis on Infinite Earths, and the snowball effect never stopped. Jonah, you've just witnessed kind of the birthplace of that idea. 
I thought this was pretty interesting. I think there were good ideas here that just failed to be executed in the best way they could have. I think that having everybody from around the world meet at one place is pretty interesting and it's a great idea to establish your universe. I liked that Vanguard slash the other Soviet Union superheroes talked to Colossus, but I had to bring it up because of that one classic where Colossus technically isn't supposed to be allowed back into the Soviet Union because he's deemed a traitor. But still, it's that nice... Seeing that interaction of that or having Shamrock interact with Captain Britain and the rivalries of their countries means that they have to have a rivalry. Stuff like that is interesting, but we only got very small tastes of it. And I felt like that could have been delved deeper into for the actual contest, but they didn't really do that. I really do appreciate it that we have an established larger Marvel universe, and I think it can lead to great things that involve the entire cast and universe or multiverse. I don't think there's much more you can say than you can appreciate it for what it's trying to do, even if you have to acknowledge the many ways in which it fails. Hi, everybody. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I run the Cage Club Podcast Network and host way too many of its shows, like Too Fast, Too Forever, the Fast and the Furious podcast, Cruise Club, the Tom Cruise podcast, and Hangs for the Memories, the Tom Hanks podcast. So Nico had me read the Marvel Superhero, singular, Contest of Champions. This is maybe the first Marvel comic book I read, although I think I did read some Daredevil issues, maybe, now that I'm thinking about it, back in the day when that was possibly going to be a thing on the network. Anyway, here's some of my thoughts. I don't understand a lot of what happened. I don't understand why they abducted basically a hundred heroes so that 24 of them could play this game. I don't understand what the heroes got out of it. I don't understand what the other 76 of them did. Was this all on a jumbotron? Are they watching? Is this like the is this the birth of esports? I feel like the biggest problem with these three issues is structure. A couple episodes ago on this podcast, I had a segment where I talked about Crisis on Infinite Earths and how that helped me learn to love the mashup. And I love the idea here of having 100 different superheroes from 80 different comics or whatever all jammed into a single unit. I love that idea. I think the problem here with these three issues is that it spends half the time introducing who everybody is both to the audience and then to each other and then demonstrating their powers and saying well my powers can't go against his powers but what are his powers i also feel like a lot of the characters in this story are kind of dumb they don't know what their powers are and i don't know i don't know the history of these heroes i don't know the history of these comics outside of what i've heard here on access for podcast for the most part but it feels like they should have a grasp on who on, on who they are and what they can do I feel like the whole structure could have been fixed if they did maybe four issues instead of three, or five or something, I don't know. Introduce the characters in one of the games to each other, to the world, to the comic book reader, to the game masters themselves, then have the entire issue about them. Rather than introducing everyone when they are abducted, and then kind of reintroducing them as they're drafted, and then reintroduced as they play the game, and then reintroduced as they use their powers... Do that once or maybe twice if you need to in an issue and then do the whole story, that one book about that game. The fact that we spend so much time and so many panels and so much of this run explaining who these people are, which, by the way, helps me, even though I still don't know who, like, half these people are. If they're not in a Marvel movie, don't know. It's just weird, man. It's just weird. I also don't understand why, if there's a game and it's the first to four, why would you not have an odd number? Like, why risk the possibility of tying 2-2? 
Doesn't that seem like a very real possibility here? I do like that Captain America is the number one overall pick. Cap is not my favorite. I am definitely Team Stark, not Team Cap. But I like that someone I knew was the first overall pick. And I like that his team wins and seals the deal. They get the third piece to win the game. I don't like the twist. I don't like that the end, that it was death all along. Ooh. It feels, and this is coming from sort of a film nerd background, feels a bit like the seventh seal of death playing a game of chess on the beach. And then the twist to the Grandmaster then dying so his brother could come back like, of course there was a twist. Who am I? I am death. You know, ultimately, I think that the story here is interesting, and I like the idea. I said it before, I'll say it again. I like the idea of all of these heroes coming together. I just don't think that the structure worked. I don't think that there was enough actual story. I kind of wish that there was a little bit more teammate cooperation. I think Invisible Girl in this... Invisible Woman? Invisible Girl. How sexist are they? Invisible Girl, Invisible Woman. Help me, Nico. She says, you know, when I do things with the Fantastic Four, I'm doing things as part of a team, but here, we're all doing things on our own. And I feel like that's true of all four games of all eight teams. They're all just like, we know what we can do. Aside from maybe one or two pairings here or there, no one knows each other. They're all just winging it to find the game piece and end their little run. I wish that there was more time devoted to each team figuring out who each other was and how to use their powers with one another to create a greater good, as opposed to just like, hey, we're going to find the piece that's hidden in a tree or hidden under ice or whatever. Overall, I think it was kind of fun. I'm glad that I got to do this. Thank you for that, Nico. I wish it was a little bit better, but I do like getting my hands dirty a little bit and actually reading some of the issues that the X's for Podcast guys get to talk about every week. If you want to know more about me, you can find all the shows I host at cageclub.me slash joey, or find me just about everywhere on the internet at soulpopped. Bonus points if you know what that's a reference to. Ladies and gentlemen, we are about to restore the universe to proper order. Does anybody have any last thoughts before I, Nico Grandmaster, send you all back to the uh, evidently four corners of the earth where you're all from? Storm needed to be featured more. That's all. Oh, 100%. A million trillion percent. Storm needed to be featured more. Wolverine needed to be in character. They can't stop naming the things they should have done. I guess for something that they so clearly put so little effort into, it could have gone so much worse. And that's a positive thing to say. Yeah, I mean, it really could have been bad. It's problematic. It's uncomfortable. There's it, there's problems, but it's not awful. It's not an overwhelmingly bad story. I can follow the idea of it. It's really an eight-page story with some fights in it, but... I think, like Mikey said, it was a good, here's a random monster episode. Mm-hmm. I don't want to burn it. I just don't necessarily want to read it 20 times. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to look at it. And it is with that that I'm going to blip you all back to where you go. As each one of you has been a part of this, I would love it if everybody could find a way to follow you guys in your further heroing adventures. Kyle, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Drantis82. Bloop! Kyle's back. Okay, Mikey, where can everybody find you? Twitter at MikeyBorgnine and then my podcast, Pop Culture Federation. Which we will definitely be sure to let you guys know as soon as it starts coming out. Bloop! Okay. Uh, Dylan. Dylan Warpath Dylan. Dylan Dylan Path Warlin. Dylan Warplum. Oh boy. Everybody, yep, save me. Everybody can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. And that's D-Y-L-A-N. 
the only great way to spell my name. And you can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group that is called House of X. Oh, you absolutely can. It's a super killer group. All right. I'm going to send him back to that group, I guess. Blip. Kevo. Kevy Kevo. Where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kevo Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, or you can find me on the Facebook page for my and Nico's podcast, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Official HTML. You can also find our awesome work over at KidRiotComics.com, where we produce super cool, super fun, super inclusive superhero stories. I also remembered what my thing was going to be. Oh, hit me. Kitsu Tinbadei. <laughs> so uh, that uh, oh god so uh, jonah 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 your turn where where are you at where are you at boy somewhere anywhere and still here so you can find me on twitter and instagram at jonah rubino and at jonah.rubino nico when you're not floating in a game arena in space where can everybody find you you guys can find me floating in a gay arena in space. Or you can find me here on this network doing all sorts of wacky shit, like Kevo said, HTML, where we talk about movies, comics, whatever. You can also find me over on Now and Again, where we talk about pop music. You can find me here on Access for Podcasts, where we talk about comics, as well as a number of guest spots on other shows. Maybe something a little fast, a little furious coming your way at some point later on. Additionally, you guys can find me over on Facebook Making Music at facebook.com slash action duo. You can find me on Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I do believe that would be it. So, ladies, gentlemen, move. Somebody ring the alarm. There's a fire on the roof. And I just want to thank you all for coming out and being part of the first ever Marvel crossover. I couldn't have done it without having five incredible co-hosts anchoring the shit out of this crazy three-part miniseries. And we hope you guys have had half as much fun listening to this on 1.5 speed as we have recording it. So until we come back to Gray Malkin Lane, and uh, I promise there's a few more X-Men in the next one. We'll see ya. Ha! You forgot to blip me, bitch. Now I'm never gonna leave, like Bill Cipher or Waldo from Muppet Vision 3D. Ha 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 Okay, I did not see that coming. That was amazing! <laughs> I know you didn't. I was waiting that entire time as soon as you forgot to say blip after my name. Oh my god. <laughs>